Hello and welcome to Rearview, the show where we get to chat to fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew, and on this episode I'm delighted to be joined by Shiv Gohill, who is the Artistic Director of Spacesuit Media. Welcome to Rearview, Shiv. I'd like to start off by asking, what is Spacesuit Media? Hi Andrew, so Spacesuit Media is actually, um, we're a media agency uh, born from Formula E, and we have an online motorsport image archive of over a hundred thousand images we have 30 photographers and yeah we've, we've been around for about for about three three years now oh that's excellent well we will explore that more further into things but i want to start off by asking not quite the first question i normally do but you are interested in cars right <laughs> yes i'm interested in cars. i thought so <laughs> so do you know when that started yeah for me i was um I was very young when I got into cars, really. My dad, my dad, he really got me into it. Uh, he grew up in East Africa, so he was kind of um, exposed to the safari rally and stuff like that. And then oh. he got into Formula One. And then he just kind of passed the legacy on, I suppose, <laughs> of all the Formula One knowledge. And I kind of took over. So motorsports is a big thing. I mean, I know it is in your, your professional career, but it's a big thing for you anyway. Yeah, I, to be honest, it's probably the single biggest thing kind of in, in my life since since a, a very young age. Yeah, particularly back years ago, not not many years ago, but uh, before perhaps the last few years, I'd say in some motorsports, there's such an evocative feeling and emotion about the sports. There's the smell, the sounds, the sights and, and everything about it. And we do all... I think if we if we like cars, we we all remember Formula One on the telly on a Sunday afternoon after the Sunday roast or something like that, or or the British touring car or things like that. So it's it's a key thing I feel for a lot of people and how they how they get introduced into into the motoring world. Yeah, exactly. And we I think we're quite lucky uh, in the UK because we have so much heritage of motorsport. We don't. I don't think we actually realize it because we we're kind of just we're in it already. But if you go to because when I go to a lot of other countries, only a few other countries have that kind of deep heritage, such as Italy. But with the UK, we have such a, a huge motorsport kind of community. It's it's unbelievable. It is. So when you were going through school, was were cars a big thing? Were you sat in the corner of this classroom drawing Formula One cars? Or were you? Did that not come into your into your life, or the thought of them, uh, sort of maybe that you possibly progress into a career with it until you were older? I always knew that I would love to work with cars. I mean, I wasn't the kid in the corner that was uh, <laughs> that was um, just drawing Formula One cars yet, but I knew a lot more about road cars when I was when I was quite young. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I used to know every single. You know, probably in the in the mid nineties, I used to know every single car on the road. I used to know all the engine sizes, all the all the facts and figures about the cars, etc. When I was when I was really young, I still, you know, the whole motorsport thing. I used to have a lot of arguments, or you could say fights, <laughs> with fellow classmates because I was a and I still I was a huge um, Michael Schumacher fan. Mm -hmm. And the majority of my classmates were Damon Hill. And we're talking in the mid-90s when they kept on having their 
you know their their kind of clashes on the track yeah yeah i used to i wasn't the kid in the corner because i was the kid that used to get picked up and thrown around <laughs> saying well, why are you supporting the wrong person <laughs> oh that's awesome <laughs> well to be to be fair if you're gonna if you're gonna support a racing driver it might be one of you know the best ever so <laughs> Exactly. I used to just watch where I used to walk at school, around in school, and uh, when the bell used to go, I used to run home as fast as I could. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's great because there's so many guests that I have on the show where they're the only person in their class or there may be one other person that's got any remote interest or idea of their, you know, of, of the thing they're interested in. So on the one hand, it is actually obviously awful that this this came to blows or physical contact but on the other hand at least there was other people that knew of the sport that you're interested in that is true it was good banter i mean when i look back on it back on it now it was it was just great banter we there was a, a huge following in my class maybe i just evoked it from everyone because i kept banging on about formula one all the time and cars they probably just thought well we got to shut him up in some way so <laughs> let's just talk about it and just um you know disagree with everything that he says but it, it was it was it was great because you know a lot of uh, my friends they were into football and other sports and you know i just i just never got into it and uh, it was great because on Mondays, usually after a race, it was just total Formula One banter time, really. <laughs> so when did the photography side of things come along? When when did you first get interested in that? Well, I'm actually th- a third generation photographer. So oh, okay. the interest was always simmering in the background. My, my grandfather used to own a photo studio in East Africa. He taught my dad and my uncle. Um they didn't do it professionally. They just kind of shot weddings for family members and, you know, shot events and stuff like that. But um, around 2005, 2006, uh, dad and myself, we started a wedding photography business together. Mm-hmm. And it it really started from there, the actual photography side of things. When did you first pick up a camera in anger, though, as it were? (laughs) Well, it was. I I actually started really late. Um, So I would say when I was when I was about 22, really, I I picked up the first camera. Yeah, I know a lot of people are quite surprised about that. They're expecting me to say, oh, you know, when I was three, four years old, my dad gave me a little disposable Kodak kind of camera from a petrol station and off I went but started giving you critiques at that point yes yeah maybe I knew that that was going to happen which is why I waited until I was past 21 (laughs) yeah wait Uh, wait till you're emotionally ready for it (laughs) exactly because then I knew I could just leave home and you know there'll be no repercussions but um yeah I was I was 23 when we went to our first wedding and that was when I really picked up a camera in anger and just got thrown straight into the deep end like here you go shiv take pictures at a wedding no pressure see you later that was it well, uh, yeah this is just this couple's happiest day of their lives <laughs> make that a memorable thing that they can keep forever off you go <laughs> exactly no pressure at all <laughs> no but that's that that seems to be one of the as an outsider looking in seems to be one of the scariest must be one of the scariest settings for a photographer because there is it seems to me so much pressure from the other side 
because because it's it's the wedding, you know, and everything has got to be perfect in a wedding. We know what tensions there are in these things. Yeah, no, you're to- totally right. And I'm not going to gloss over the fact that it, I could sit here and say, oh, it's easy and this and that. But when, when I first started, it, it was very daunting. It is a total deep end. You are thrown straight into the deep end because you know everything is changing your settings your camera settings are changing all the time there is no consistency it's not like a studio where you've got time to set up etc mm. you know you have to capture the moments it, it you are a fly on the wall and you can't you can't really say to people oh slow down or stop and things like that you just have to know what you're doing so it was a total deep end but to be honest if I wouldn't have wanted it. And when I look back on it, I wouldn't want it any other way because it's the quickest way to learn your camera because you can study cameras and you can study photography and everything for four years. But if you can't take pictures in a changing lighting climate, for example, you you um, you can't really classify yourself as a photographer, I don't think. Yeah, I, I was going to ask if it's if it's one of the ultimate crash courses or sort of environments in which to learn your craft as well it is the perfect environment to learn your craft as much as motorsport is fantastic for outdoors and and things like that with weddings you've got indoor outdoor you've got people in the way you you haven't got time to do this it's just everything is high pressure so um yeah it's uh, it's not for everyone but it works for me so it's fine <laughs> so when did the photography for motorsport come along um so i went to i think from what i remember silverstone formula one i just bought a grandstand ticket i think it was 2010 and um on the friday I just went to different grandstands and I just shot the cars from different angles. And, um, it kind of, that's where the, you know, it kind of grew, it grew from there mm-hmm. because I thought to myself, well, you know, I was working with settings and I was trying slow pans and trying to get the car in motion, the shots. And I just thought to myself, this is really great fun, you know, doing what I love, what I enjoy doing, what I feel I'm good at. And, at the same time witnessing you know these amazing cars and these amazing drivers you know racing around the best circuits yeah in the world and silverstone is uh it's not the easiest circuit to shoot because it's quite flat and um you know access isn't great for you know a lot of people you you have to shoot through a lot of fences and you know stuff like that but uh yeah, it kind of grew from there. And then after a few years, I started going to different events. In 2012, I I spent half my life savings in 2012, if I remember correctly. I wasn't too impressed with myself when I saw the bank statements at the end of the year because I went to Barcelona testing uh, for four days at the beginning of the year. Then I went to the Monaco Grand Prix and I went to the Austin race, which was oh, the yeah. first one there um, because I wanted – because I knew that it was Michael's final year in Formula One mm-hmm. and I wanted to get this, hone my skills, but then also just to say farewell to Michael yeah. um, at the end of his career. So it kind of all came together in 2012. And then from there, it just took off really on social media. 
how did Spacesuit Media come around then? Spacesuit Media. <laughs> I feel it feels like it's twenty years old when it's it's, it's, not, even, it's not even that. Are old. you saying um, it's aged you? <laughs> it has aged me seriously. If you saw pictures of me five years ago and pictures of me now, people would say, "Wow, you look twelve five years ago." <laughs> you know, it's um, Spacesuit Media. How did it come around? Well, Spacesuit Media was it was born from you could say it was the brainchild of ross ringham and myself ross about five years ago he found me on social media he found me on twitter and i had actually shot the hareth if i remember correctly the 2014 hareth formula one you call it testing Mm -hmm. i shot the tests i got a pass from another what a different formula one kind of small uh, what would you call it again like a podcast stroke website and I took pictures for them and they got me the pass and I was very grateful them, to them they were called Badger GP which unfortunately they've, they've actually gone now um, so I took those shots and I threw them out on social for a few weeks after the testing Ross actually saw the shots and he contacted me and he said that he was um, looking at making a website like the first dedicated website to formula e mm-hmm. and he wanted unique pictures he wanted to not use the the box standard shots that they were kind of putting out at the time um so we we met up and we just it kind of grew from there and it initially it was just myself just me myself as a photographer and then i would supply the images to the website and to him and then you know take off from there but then what happened was we we actually went to the first formula well we went to the testing mm-hmm. at donnington in um late 2014 we went to the launch as well then the testing we went to beijing on the first race with absolutely nothing we just went with no contracts we just wanted to go there we we uh, got passes, uh, so I got a photography pass and he got an editor, editor's pass. We went and I shot and we came back with five team contracts. <laughs> <laughs> so that was quite surreal because it was it was a new sport and no one knew what was going on, whether it would last, whether the first race would happen. It was There were so many question marks. And because of that kind of not being sure and it was new that the the media really didn't have that interest in the sport yet i mean they had uh, you know a few people here and there but you know we we kind of went there and just said right let's just hit the ground running on this you know Mm we had already spoken to a few teams um at testing we got to meet a lot of the team principals the drivers uh got to know a few of the formula e personnel went to the first race and um yeah but it was it was incredible just came back and they were all like we want to you know invest in your pictures and for the rest of the season and that was quite like you know might have taken aback so to speak no but that 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 is awesome and did you find it uh, a bit odd that people and I don't mean this in any negative way, but just just because this is going to sound awful. Oh God! Uh, but the fact that people come to you and go, "We really like what you do. Can can we have more of that, please?" Do, just as a not because you didn't think your stuff was good, 
but just as a as a person and somebody coming up to you and going we like your stuff we want more how can we have more well to be honest um they never say it like that i've never <laughs> i've never heard anyone actually just come up to me and say we really like your work we would like to invest in your pictures usually it's an email that says how much do you charge? How much will you charge for an event? Well, you see, that's that's the unwritten um, thing. You see that yeah, it doesn't come out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wish, I wish, um, I wish they would actually say something like how you just uh, how you just put it together. But it's, I think, with Formula E and when when it all started. I mean, it's a very. I was taken aback. But then I also I was very happy. We were very happy because it just showed that the the time and investment and the sacrifices that we had made to get to that point had paid off eventually. Yeah, it and validates payoffs, it validates everything. You've yeah, done. yeah, exactly. It, it validates it validates everything. It was it was great. I think you do get a sense of pressure after that because now you know we are we're in the deep end we truly are in the deep end you know that we have more responsibility we have certain images that we have to deliver you know beijing in the first season was just run and gun it was just shoot as much as i can we did have a contract with with uh, with renault at the time so i was shooting a lot of renault's off-track stuff in between the race sessions which was absolute pandemonium mm. i think with the with the experience of weddings and that pressure it did make it a lot easier in the motorsport side of things because if if i hadn't experienced that pressure of res- that, that responsibility before i don't think i would have <laughs> mentally have made it uh, through the the remaining races yeah um it, it was lovely to hear and to this day i always appreciate when when the teams keep obviously investing in in the f- photography that i do um but yeah i it was difficult to you could say keep the emotions in check at the time yeah yeah <laughs> that's totally understandable um what's what would you describe your style is with the motorsport <laughs> well i would just put it as artistic as as much as it and it's not even blowing my own trumpet because I'll, I'll tell you why because a lot of people expect different kind of photography and as much as artistic photography is you know it's beautiful to put pictures up on your wall and i'm being always i'm always being told off by ross saying you've got to dial it down a bit (laughs) because (laughs) as much as you know the clients would love to have pictures of you know silhouettes and sunrises and stuff you know we have to get sponsors and make sure that the, the sponsors are clear and the clients are happy because you know they don't want just an outline of a car they want to see who their driver is etc so I have kind of learned to make it 75% artistic and then 25% will get the shots that we 100% need. So, so yeah, I would say that the style is artistic. No, they're, they're very striking photographs and they're absolutely gorgeous to look at. It's quite unique in Formula E as well, from the, from a not that I'm sitting there trawling every photograph that people produce for Formula E, but uh, the, the ones I've seen, there there are some of the more, how would you put it, possibly magazine, uh, magazine sort of special photographs where it is, you know, it's, it's it's a snapshot of that second and everything's caught perfectly in focus. 
and there's no motion blur or anything like that. And it's just, look, there's the car. It's doing its thing. There's the bit of the track as well. And yours yours are definitely not that sort of photograph. They are they are really striking to look at. And don't worry, I won't be much more complimentary because I'm British. So <laughs> that's about as much as I can do in a, in, in, in one call. <laughs> so, but uh, no, I, I, when I've been looking at them, I am blown away with what, you've, what you produce. Oh, thank you. That, that means a lot. My personal style is artistic, but in if if I shot Formula E just for myself, I would probably even go more artistic. But I think it's it's um, it's important to understand that the the clients that we have, the teams, the the, the magazines, the, the spot, some of the main title sponsors, etc. You know, they, they love what I do, but at the same time, it's important to deliver what they want as well so the kind of shots that you're talking about where you know, sponsor logos are a bit clearer you know showing motion but not too much so that um the car's in focus you can tell the car but the background has been blurred ever so slightly etc mm. it's important for me and for space as an agency to kind of fulfill both roles because as much as i would love to shoot fully artistic and go absolutely crazy on the crazy blurs etc you know, we do have pictures to deliver to clients and it's it's important to kind of fulfill their their briefs and what they kind of ask for before the weekend. Well that that has to be one of the skills of the professional photographer though, is to to marry the the client's requirements with you know, your own personal signature as it were you've you've got to it, it is a it is a balance between the two it it must well it seems like it from the outside uh, and I, was that one of the harder lessons to learn yeah i'm not going to lie it's uh it is it, it was the most one of the most difficult lessons to learn that you know everything that you push out um is not going to be appreciated by everyone that views the images so how dare uh, they how very very yeah, dare i they. know how dare they so for, for for example mahindra racing they've been one of they've been our best client for since the first test you know we've been shooting for them for for five years now and in the in the hierarchy of the team you know the drivers love the artistic shots they love to put that on their instagram on their twitter etc and that's what they expect but then you have, if you go up one level, you have um, the P, um, not the PR, the um, the marketing department mm. who want clear responses because they're, you know, they're they're responsible for uh, selling space on the car, etc., for the sponsors. So then they all want clearer shots so that they can see these logos, that logo, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then the team principal, like Dilbag, he might say, "Oh, do you have this kind of shot or that kind of shot? Or we need this and." We need more of this, and we, you know, I want to keep this person happy, etc. So there's a lot of levels to it. Yeah. So it's quite. Sometimes it can be quite um, challenging to fulfil everything, but we do get it done by the end of the weekend. Yeah. It's just a matter of time management. So mm -hmm. I know that on Thursday I'll do this, on Friday I'll do this, and on Saturday on the on the practice and race day I'll take different styles of shots of the car on the track so that. I can just tick off all the boxes and then by Saturday evening when the team has all the images in their archive, um, nothing's left 
I'm done. Uh, it's, it's all done. so because you've been doing this so long do you have a like a process for yourself now on on how you're going to do this how you're going to approach a a weekend we call it a weekend it's longer than that but the weekend's (laughs) racing and what leads up to that yeah i think um, because formula e is so unique compared to other motorsports it's you know formula one it's very different You, you know you've got practice sessions on Friday, you've got qualifying on Saturday, you've got the race on Sunday. So you find that the on-track shots of the cars on the road are spread over three days. Whereas in Formula E, there's still, most personnel arrive on the Wednesday, they probably rest. Then on Thursday, they're building the cars. You know, most of the personnel start getting off their flights and attending the, the racetrack, checking, you know, the FIA are checking the infrastructure of the racetrack. So you get great shots of just drivers chilling out and mechanics building the cars and kind of that, that real team feel. So Thursdays for, for us is all about the team building about the details of the car. Mm-hmm. Obviously not too much detail because <laughs> <laughs> people yeah. are microscoped over your images to say, Oh, they've got that little connector there. I wonder why that is. Let's right. deconstruct this. Exactly. And then once the rear end is off the car, we just switch off. You know, we just go to the front end of the car or we just leave the garage. Because people in balaclavas come and take you away and remove SD cards and things. Exactly. It's it's a fine line because sometimes the mechanics, you know, they look at you like, what are you taking shots of? And then when you show them the picture, it's like a beautiful shot of their hands, I don't know, with grease and dirt all over them. Yeah. It's a break pad or a brake or you know fixing the brakes but all you can see is the dirt and not the brakes and they're like oh god shiv typical you know just artistic shot of my grubby hands and not the technicalities of the car and i'm like but that's my style you know (laughs) that's also another thing i've noticed with your shots is it's showing the people involved in them and it's showing the the interaction as well that and, and this is important that motorsport is about the people. Okay, it's the, it's the machines, but it's about the people as well and everything that goes into getting a car on the road and racing around the track as fast and as long as it can to hopefully win it. And it it I love seeing photographs, particularly of motorsport, where the, the car is there or the, the mechanical side of things is there, but the, the focus is the person and what they're doing or the, what it looks like they're feeling and all that. I think that's, that's really special when you can capture that sort of thing. And I think that's just the wedding side of me, just kind of cross, cross pollinating. Grubby hands. The, yeah, <laughs> I know. So instead of uh, putting a ring on the finger, it's, um, it's, it's grubby, it's grubby hands and, um, you know, getting oil on, on their faces and stuff, but. No, but it's showing details that we wouldn't perhaps, we'd, we'd miss us, us muggles would miss otherwise. Yeah, I think that's, if there was a part of motorsport which I really prefer shooting, it's, I personally feel that the people shots and the emotion is definitely more down my street. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I love the cars racing around the track and, you know, that's getting great shots of the cars racing around is very difficult. And, you know, I'm not saying that it's easy or anything, but I definitely find it, more fulfilling and more challenging in the pit lane to get driver portraits to play with the light, especially since Formula E goes go to um, so many warm climates. Yeah. We're we're quite blessed with uh, great lighting a lot of the time, a lot of the season. 
oh, imagine uh, if they do the Saudi race at, um, at nighttime like they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Well, that would be a whole new... <laughs> that would be a whole new level, exactly. And that's that. That's just my style. And it's, it's important for Spacesuit as an agency to, to kind of have that understanding that we don't want just shots of cars. And it's in, it, that's something that we look at when we look at new talent and photographers who want to contribute towards the online archives. We look at the car stuff and 99% of the photographers who maybe approach us or we approach, their car stuff is amazing. It's usually the portraiture that not is the not I wouldn't say it's the letdown, but usually it's the, the weaker side of things that need yeah. more working on. But if we see photographers who have a great all-round perspective of they can shoot cars and people and get the emotion, then you know it's a winning combination because that's where I feel our agency differs from from others. Um, where where others might concentrate more on the car photography, etc. We like to put a lot of emphasis on the on the people and the emotion. Mm. Well, something you just mentioned there, which I find is, uh, which I think is quite interesting, is that you you look for on and talent gets in touch with you. How do you work with people coming uh, approaching you? Is 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 there some sort of system, or is there a, a way that you like to do things? Well, to be honest, that's kind of more Ross's department first. Mm-hmm. When I when I say first, because I am so busy between the races, shooting weddings and other crazy stuff that all the any photographers or any photographers that he sees or likes the work of, he'll look at them and then he'll make a list and then he'll send me uh, a list of those photographers. Or if someone contacts us, then he'll forward me their email and then I'll look at what they do, their portfolio. And um, yeah, then I usually just email them back or contact them and just... Um, you know, not, not critique their portfolio. Cause that's not, I wouldn't really, that's not, that's not really fair, but it's kind of like an academy. Okay. So we like to support their development. It's important. So I know for a fact being wanting to get into motorsport photography, how difficult it was in the first place to have that chance. And it's important for spacesuit to give talent of all ages, not just young talent, but any talent, as if their photography is fantastic and they, you know, they've hit a bit of a glass ceiling as to they can't get accreditation for certain events, etc., and they want to uh, contribute to our online archive, then um, we can look at their portfolio and, em- and, em- and embrace them and bring them into the academy. So, what are you looking for in someone who, say, approaches you? What, what are the sort of? I'm not saying particular, you know, photograph. Photo- photograph shots but what are you looking for from the person what what would get you more interested in them you know photography is uh 50% is the photography itself and 50% is the person mm-hmm. because for a for a photographer to for especially with the people stuff you know with the car obviously you can't your personality is not going <laughs> to make a difference to a car racing around the track but oh uh, you say that think... but <laughs> no but you can you can have a bit of a signature look can't you oh of course yeah um so when when i mean um when i mean personality i meant more about the people photography oh yeah, yeah. okay so it, yeah. it's important you know to have that good relationship with the drivers with the engineers with the team personnel 
I think... Um, so you're saying you can't just hide behind a lens? <laughs> oh, you know what? If, if it was that easy, I think everyone would be doing it. But it, it truly, you know, you, you have to... You, you have to get your get your claws out. No, I wouldn't say that, but you definitely have to have that outgoingness, and you 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 don't want to shy away. You've got to be. You've got to have people skills. Yeah, you have to have people skills, and you have to be hands on. Half the shots that people see in my portfolio, a lot of people say, "Well, how did you get that shot? How did you get that shot?" And I'm like, "Well, I just asked." <laughs> it's as simple as that, really. Like. I remember in Haref in Formula One testing, it was my second accredited ever accredited Formula One event. And I was in the paddock and Daniel Ricciardo had just joined uh, Red Bull Racing. He was walking past me with his beanie hat and he was cold and there were tons of people around him. And I just tapped him on the shoulder and I said, can I just take a really nice portrait of you? And he just smiled at me with those, with those, that huge grin that he has. And he goes, yeah, sure, mate. And I was like, oh, that was easy. So <laughs> since then, it was just, you know, if people say no, they, they usually have a, a, a reason to say no. But if you don't ask, you, you can't, you, you won't get, you know. And yeah. that's the same with Formula E. We, we have a certain number of clients and a certain number of drivers who we work for. But for the people, you know, for them, it's they know that they're going to get the shots at the end of the day. But it's the other teams and the other drivers who don't really have any contracts with us or anything. And they, you know, you, you have to approach them. For example, Lucas Degrassi is a perfect example. Lucas, we have done some work for Audi magazine in the past, but, you know, Audi have had the same photographer for the last five years. Mm. But through just talking to Lucas and getting to know him and asking him, can we get a picture here and there? you know, he, he always has time for us. Mm. And when Audi magazine needed shots, et cetera, a couple of years ago, they, um, you know, I said to Lucas, you know, I, I need to do this. And he's like, yeah, no problem. And even now, when, if I ask him, can we do a shoot for five, 10 minutes? You know, he's one of the busiest people in the pit lane. Yeah. Audi keep him really busy. He just says, yeah, no problem. This time or whatever is absolutely fine. So it's building relationships, isn't it? It's, it's, it's being grown up and adult about these things. Yeah, exactly. It is. You just, you just have to have those people skills. Again, I keep talking about the weddings, but it's just like a wedding. You are thrown into a crowd of people who you don't know. And to get to know the family and to get what you want from the wedding and to make sure that everyone is on your side and you're not just that photographer who blocks the way and you know you're that annoying guy with a camera you you have to get out there and you have to just introduce yourself and just just kind of um make people know who you are really you've got to develop that in a wedding situation it seems to me you've got to develop that rapport like almost immediately as well talking about yeah. adding to the pressure of everything i'm not not that i'm trying to make you nervous about wedding photography now sorry <laughs> no no it's fine <laughs> but but yeah it, it just it's You've got to be in there. You've got to be approachable. You've got to. You've got to have all the things that will make people go, "Okay, yeah, no problem. I can. I can stand here, or you know, whatever it is you're looking for. for get them to understand that you're doing this for them, type thing. It's not yeah, not you exactly. trying to just be difficult or anything. And I think, yeah, no, you're totally right. And with social media, it makes a huge difference. I mean, ten years ago, I don't know how I would have 
shown the pictures to the drivers, for example, for them to, to, to evoke that reaction. Now, what I do is if I take a really nice shot of one of the drivers that I know, whether it's Lucas or whether it's Antonio, Felix da Costa or Sebastian Buemi, if if I take a really nice shot of them and, you know, they look on the back of the camera and they're like, oh, can you send it to me? Uh, you know, you send it and you you tell them off a bit saying, well, I don't technically shoot for you, but I'll send it anyway. Mm. But just, you know, credit us on Instagram and or Twitter and, you know, we um, we can sort something out. Ten years ago, that wouldn't have happened. And having that quick kind of relate that it helps the relationship because then they just use the picture and then they're really happy and they've seen the picture and they see the quality of the work. And if they don't like the pictures, then next time they'll just say, well, no, I haven't got time. Mm. But if you consistently keep bashing out stuff that they really like, that they'll just keep, um, they'll, they'll give you that time. Yeah. Do you, uh, have you ever had any problems with people giving accreditation or not giving it more to the point? Uh, I think, at the beginning, we're talking pre-formal E and pre-spacesuit. Mm -hmm. I, I would say at the beginning when um, when I would say end of 2012, when I gave the 2012 images of Austin, Monaco and Barcelona, I gave them to Badger GP and they did all the stuff for me. I was looking at getting accredited. I was asking around a lot, etc. Um, and it was just total kind of shutdowns and no's mm. which is just a part of that's just a part of the learning experience as part of the learning curve yeah. of any kind of uh media related sports photography i would say it's not just motorsport it's any kind of sport that was very difficult at the time but i just kept pushing the shots out there and you know ross finding me on social media was the that was the foot in the door you know, and with his with his um, you could say persuasion skills with uh, Formula E, etc., and um, being one of the first dedicated websites to Formula E, you know, and Formula E just being new, they just embraced us with open arms. And yeah. I know it's a lot to do with luck. You know, th there's not a, a an FIA sanctioned motorsport opening up every year. You know, Formula E was probably the last big motorsport um championship to um to really be born mm. but it, it, we just we just got really lucky with the timings and for me formula e was perfect because it runs in in the kind of off season for me so then in the summer i don't get wedding clashes i can do the weddings in the summer and then i can do formula e for the rest of the season mm -hmm. um, so it made a lot of sense for me as well who used to stroke still inspires you photography wise I would say, to be honest, when I was young, I wasn't really that much into the photography where I would look at the the old pictures, for example. I mean, I've obviously seen old pictures uh, from the from the 50s, 60s, 70s, where I'm like, wow, you know, there was no crash barrier and photographers are lying on the ground and, you know, they've got shots of, uh, you know, Graham Hill or Fangio or Sterling Moss taking a corner. And then there's a guy lying on the grass on the apex of a corner. <laughs> You're just like, this is crazy. But when it comes to modern day photography, I would say Vladimir Reese is an incredible motorsport photographer. I think his, he's just unbelievably unique and he he's really got such a unique style that you can see one of his shots a mile away. Mm -hmm. Other photographers whose work I really 
think is fantastic is Jamie Price. He's based out in the States. Um, he does a lot of uh, Lamborghini Trofeo and sports car racing. He's amazing. So, yeah, there's, to be honest, it's, uh, if, if I went through my kind of Instagram, I could probably um, <laughs> whack out a few more names, but it's, there's so many, there's so many inspiration. Paul Henry Cartier, that's it. That's the old, that's uh, his father was um, a motorsport photographer, if I remember correctly, when Formula One first started. And then he became a motorsport photographer after that. And his his era of motorsport, he still shoots now. Mm. But he, I think he started, if I remember correctly, in the, in the late 70s or the early 80s. So that golden era of Formula One, of Senna, Prost, PK, um, etc. He he kind of he he journaled that he journaled that side mm. of um, that era of Formula One, and he's got some just incredible shots, which they're so unique. And at a time when film photography was the predominant way, it was the only type of photography, and you know manual focus lenses and not knowing how the picture is going to come out, and you know. <laughs> That that just sounds so frightening today that you you've got yes. you're there and you're just going, I think I've got everything set up right. <laughs> but I won't know until next week. <laughs> no, you're you're totally right. And um you a lot of people when they look in motorsport and they say, Oh, you know, Formula One was or motorsport was generally very dangerous back in the day. And then I look at the photographers and I'm like, photography was dangerous back in the day. I mean, there's a reason we, that everyone needs insurance now. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, nailing, nailing a shot back then. Imagine take, I could not imagine as a photographer taking a picture now and then not knowing what it's going to look like until Monday afternoon. Like, you yeah. know, it's, it's, that's incredible. And the, the, obviously for camera technology is going leaps and bounds it's just going forward every day but um that's something that i really appreciate that just i would just call it shooting blind mm. even though back then that was just normal shooting it's just incredible that they could get the shots that they needed um and get incredible photography and beautiful shots when everything was quite literally just manual nothing was digital it's, it's yeah because to, to get to that point must have taken ages of you making mistakes and having to remember what you did as you say a couple of days later or whenever it is that the photograph is processed to then think okay these are the things that i had set up at that time this is the bit i'll tweak now go back and experiment again so it's not like take the shot go oh that's that's not quite right I'll just tweak this setting as you can now. And then, you know, it's a, it's an immediate quick process to learn. Whereas then it, it's so protracted. It's amazing what these guys, these guys could do. Yeah. I, I just, uh, totally in awe of their images. That's for sure. Especially Paul Henry's They're They're just incredible. Yeah. Uh, one question I like to ask professional photographers, what, what's your feelings to Instagram? It's a, <laughs> It's helped. It's a loaded me. question. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is. It is. No, no, that's fine. It's fine. I could, I could sit here and talk about, you know, how social media is. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure I have my own re, my own opinions about social media in general. But for it, I think Instagram, it's helped. It's helped spacesuit. It's helped me a lot. It's helped spacesuit a lot. And 
I think as long as you don't spend too much time on it, it's not really um, it's not really a bad thing. But I think spreading for for spacesuit especially, and for myself to get exposure outside of Formula E, and you know we've shot we've shot Le Mans and where can we shoot IndyCar at the moment? And you know it, I think for those other championships and those other drivers uh, and all the people associated with those different championships for them to see our work, it wouldn't have been possible without Instagram or social media. So you're saying it's like a, a shop window a little bit. It is because I, I was found through Twitter. So I'm not going to knock social media in that sense. You know, Twitter helped me and it helped it helped Ross find me. And then from there, Spacesuit was born and now we can do all these great things around the world. But I think it's it's a great shop window to see talented photographers as well as spread our kind of photography and show the world what we're what we're capable of but do you worry at all that because of the likes of instagram and because all of us have a, a we're told we have a camera in our pockets and all the rest of it and so many of us take a snap not a photograph but a snap and that the because of that that how photography and photographers are thought of is has been lessened at all because of social media? I think digital photography in general was the first step towards photography becoming more of a consumer-driven thing instead of a profession. I think social media, is, it, it, it's very difficult to answer that, to be honest. <laughs> I um I don't as I said I don't really want to knock it it has it has changed the you know I think if you take a professional picture with professional gear such as the the gear that I use and then I put that image onto Instagram and then that shot gets let's say 500 likes for example you know that's all very well because you're just using Instagram um or social media as as you said, like a shop window, you were just showing people what you've taken on a professional camera and then you've just got it across onto the phone, onto social. I think if if people were just filming and just taking shots on their phone of just a blurred car and it's bad quality, et cetera, and they just push that out and that becomes the predominant force in media, then that would be a, a real shame. Um, I don't really see that happening, but I mean, if it did, then then that would be that would be really sad because I feel that that would change the landscape of photo and video and media generally forever. Mm. I don't think the phone cameras are going to get to that point where they can quite literally just take over all kinds of um, professional photography and and videography. But yeah, it's, it, it can get quite annoying when you have photo holes and, you know, they're all taken up by people with phones and you're like, guys, you know, I've got a job to do here. <laughs> you know, as much as updating your Instagram <laughs> stories is fantastic. You know, we we have to do the professional stuff. Yes, pointy elbows come out at that point, do they? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, my elbows, my elbows are bruised beyond belief. Um, yeah. What mistakes do you see people making with their photographs? Just this more the us muggles as opposed to professionals. What do people? Um, I'm trying to think of the last persons whose pictures I saw and they looked, <laughs> they looked bad. I think it's not being scared to. People should not be scared to experiment. 
there's a lot of people who will stand in one corner or in one spot they'll keep the cameras on the same settings and they'll get the same shot of every single car whether it's you know we're not talking just formally or Le Mans we're talking about any kind of motorsport mm. they'll just get the same shot of the same car going past over and over and over again and the way I see it is if you can you know change your settings change your so that you get a blurred shot of a car. And then once you've nailed that one shot of the car where the, the blur is perfect, the helmet's in focus, but the rest of the car is blurred out, move to another spot. Mm -hmm. You know, just keep going because for people to be interested in your pictures, you have to show variety in the portfolio. And I think it's very important that you don't get stuck in one spot and just keep going in the same place just thinking i need to get the same thing just get as much variety as you can and as a pro and that goes on to being a professional photographer as well for me if when i get the shot that i need from one corner in one place with one setting on my camera i'm gone i don't stay there for long because i know that the variety is more important than just getting the same thing over and over again okay okay how many miles do you do in a in a uh a race weekend then uh from what i remember the in a typical formula e race uh thursday friday saturday i'll probably cover about 17 to 18 miles okie doke um, you've got comfy shoes yeah <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to le mans that's probably a lot more because it's compressed I would say over the week of Le Mans, I probably rack up about thirty-five miles, forty miles of walking. Crikey! Indy, I did the Indy, I did the Indy five hundred last year, which was incredible. With that, I racked up in the in just the three hours of the of the Indy car five hundred. I think I racked up about ten miles. Wow! And, and that's just an oval. I mean, you're just walking crisscrossing. I mean, there's not there's not much to it. But by the time you walk around the crowd of a hundred of five hundred thousand people all half drunk and you know, <laughs> you know with their helmets with the beer kind of cans on the helmets and you know <laughs> you know trying trying to walk around them etc is just uh it doubles your your distance yes, <laughs> gives you an idea of what the roman amphitheater must have been like back in the day <laughs> oh exactly exactly what else do you get involved with you've mentioned there that there's the indycar uh, that you've done WEC as well. Uh, are there any other uh, projects that you deal with? The individual projects. I mean, we do get some really interesting ones come our way. We shot Formula One at Monaco in 2016 for McLaren. It was a bit of their race stuff and a bit of their hospitality as well. Um, so they had uh, McLaren owners so it was a very exclusive club and they had um, an incredible view of the racetrack near the Fairmont Hotel on a balcony. And I got to shoot the, the race from a very unique vantage point up there. Venturi did an electric ran, land speed record in late 2016 and they broke the, it was fastest electric. They were going for the fastest electric uh, vehicle land speed record and they broke it. Ross and I went out there for a week to the States. We drove 3,000 miles around the country and it was an amazing road trip, but it was just the most incredible experience, you know, driving into the salt flats uh, at Bonneville, staying in what was like a, a mini Vegas, just in the local town and 
You know, there are certain events in your life that you'll never forget, and I, that that Bonneville Salt Flats Venturi uh, VVV, it was the VVV three project, was probably one of those life changing experiences because you're in the middle of the salt flats, you got mountain ranges about 15, 20 miles in the distance, but they look as clear as day, and you've got this beautiful flat salt flats, totally flat land. Um, the sun we they did the their first run during the sunrise so we've got a pickup truck i'm sh- i'm doing uh, tracking shots of the car at sunrise and sunset and it's just you, you feel like you're on the moon and it's just one of those <laughs> incredible experiences that you'll never forget you know yeah. when, when i look back on my videos that i've taken on my phone and you know the crazy pictures and behind the scenes stuff you just can't believe that that actually happened and it's those small projects which are you know they they really excite me as much as i love doing the formula e championship and we love shooting the indycar championship those really unique projects um really they um they get the hairs on the back of your neck standing up i've seen that you work also with or partnership with the green power trust so Green Power, we've known them for quite a few years now. It's a really great project, what Green Power do, in case, in case anyone doesn't know. They, um, they have schools taking part in a race, racing car championship, but the cars are almost like just, they're, they're very small, they're very easy to build on a mechanical level. And they, um, they race in different, uh, race circuits and venues in the UK. Mm. I think it's 10 to 15 races per year and the schools compete against each other to race these little cars and the great, and it's, it's fantastic because they, um, they build the cars together. So there's a lot of teamwork involved and um, you know, it's great to see the kids getting involved in motorsport, et cetera. And, you know, they're doing something a bit different. And it's, it's great to watch and green power, you know, we've been, we've been shooting for them for, I think two, three years now. And it's, it's, it's great fun to to see motorsport on that entry level, you know, at the very start of the kids being interested in motorsport. And, you know, you're kind of seeing the planting of the seeds, Mm. uh, so to speak. But that's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great charity. And um, if, if no one knows, or if no one's ever heard of Green Power or whatever series, just just look them up. They're, they're they're amazing. Well, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to it, so um, people can uh, click through there to to investigate that further. From your personal point of view, what would you tell a younger photographer? You, <laughs> what would I tell me? Um, I would tell just keep getting out going out there as much as it's uh, you might it's just like anything it's like getting your first job when you when you leave university you know people are asking for people are asking for experience but then you can't get experience if you don't get your first job and you have that catch 22 situation and it works the same i suppose in any photography but if i applied to motorsport photography you know you can take pictures from uh, the grandstands as much as you can and try and get as close to the drivers and the cars, etc. But then you can't get those real killer shots if you don't get closer. And 
you and but you can't get closer without the accreditation so there's your catch 22 mm. but what what you need to do is approach or attend at least small championships such as green power for as an example mm. but you could you could start off you know brick car they do a lot of stuff at circuits in the uk and maybe the small smaller gt racing and just attend the races and the drivers because the drivers are not to say it impolitely but because they're not famous yet and they have time and they'll really appreciate you know if you approach them and you say oh can i get a few portraits you know get them with their helmet just get something a bit different get a lot of variety and then just let them use the the images on social media etc and don't don't put too many restrictions on them just say look here are your shots. Give me your email address. Here are your shots. Use them on social. Just tag me or just mention me. Say something nice, mm. and just get that exposure. You know, and don't rely on one on one person or two. Just try and blanket across as many things as you as you physically can, and just keep practicing and vary your portfolio. Don't don't make everything look the same. Mm. If there's a night race, go and do a night race. If there's uh, one where you know that you're going to have sunrises and sunsets attend those races or those events now and if that means that you know we li- i understand we live in the uk and we don't get weather like what we've had in the last few days <laughs> on a daily basis but you know hop on a hop on a two-hour flight to spain for 50 quid by EasyJet. go and shoot um an event in in spain or somewhere where you know that the sun's going to be shining because your pictures will be far superior compared to gray and cloudy shots mm. but just yeah just push for that variety, try and get as much as you can and don't be scared to approach the drivers or the teams, etc. What's the worst they can say? No, just move on. No, excellent. What does the future hold for you and for Spacesuit, do you think? Wow. <laughs> Without think, revealing um, trade secrets or anything like that, no, obviously. No, 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 of course not. I think th- there's no real trade secret to it. I mean, Spacesuit has, it, it was born from people appreciating our photography and appreciating our style and we'll just continue doing that we don't we don't want to step on anyone else's toes it's not like we are out there to completely dominate the entire you know photography agency you could say world but it's important for us to keep our style and that's that's important because is that your job? Is that part of your job? <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, I, I'm not. As artistic director, is, is making sure that you don't veer away from what you feel is is the core of spacesuit. That part of what you you have to do. Yeah, exactly, and that comes from also getting the right photographers that we hire and the ones that contribute towards spacesuit collections. Uh, you know, such as uh, you know Daniel Bazzi and Lou Johnson and Jamie Sheldrick, just just to name a few of the photographers. You know, they they have that same vision that I have, and they contribute and they are a part of Spacesuit because of their unique look. And we don't we don't want to change that at all. Mm-hmm. And it's important for us to just keep going in that in that direction because there are plenty of agencies out there and you know each agency has i suppose has a look that caters to different people but we want to just bring something a bit different a bit more 
powerful than something that is more artistic, more portrait driven instead of just car driven. We we don't want to change that. And in the future, it will just keep on it will just keep on going. We just want to expand to a point where you know we've got some really great championship. I mean, obviously everyone wants a, a great championship contract. I mean, that'll be nice. But take each day as it comes, mm-hmm. really. Um, I mean, personally, there are certain events that I would love to shoot in the future, the bucket list, so to speak. I would love to go to Laguna Seca to shoot the IndyCar there because since playing Gran Turismo 2 a million times, <laughs> for a million hours, yes. Laguna Seca was one of my favorite tracks since Gran Turismo 2. Um, How many different angles of the corkscrew can you get? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I could never fly over the barrier. <laughs> For us, you know, we would like to get into Dakar and WRC and the new Extreme E series, mm. which is the brainchild of Alejandro and a few of the other Formula E people. I would love to shoot Pikes Peak in, oh, um, yeah. I think it's California. I know it's in the States, but Colorado. I think it's Colorado. Colorado, yeah. Bathurst. Yes. Um, <laughs> Talking of good light. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> when I see the Bathurst shots, when everyone has that shot from the top of the mountain where the cars are going down the hill, and I'm like, yeah, I need to go there pretty soon. It's a bit like uh, that uh, Goodwood Revival last year where the, the sunset was just perfect. I think it was the Saturday night, and it just made everything glow. Uh, and it was it was going down behind one portion of the track, so it just it, there's a couple of shots. Oh, I can't remember who the photographer was that I saw on Twitter, but they were just absolutely gorgeous because the light was golden, and the there was a bread van going through that got caught by it, and it was just amazing. That's that's all we want. That's all photographers want. Just want that they perfect just, light, please. Now they want you. the perfect light, <laughs> and they want the clients to switch off during the event and just say. We, we we don't need the shots right now. Just go and have fun. We're, in half an hour, we're going to start hounding you. That's fine. <laughs> Just wait until the sun set, and then I can do whatever you want. <laughs> I would like to move now on to the quickfire questions. Um, so I'm going to ask the first one I always do, which is what currently excites you about the motoring world? Self-drive cars. I think that's really cool for the future. Mm-hmm. We're kind of on the brink of this whole fully electric, not fully electric, but the full self-drive, uh, self-drive AI-driven vehicles. And I don't mean in motorsport. I mean just generally on the road. I think it'll come to motorsport first because that's a trapped environment. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I'm retired by then. But, uh, yeah, I think, it, it, I mean, eventually everything goes to, goes to motorsport. But self-drive cars, I think it's just fascinating, like how they'll work and the whole technology behind it and the algorithms and the way that people like Tesla and Google and all these, you know, huge companies are just just investing this incredible amount of time into you know the coding and stuff like that i just can't you could because i used to study computer science for the first few years at university and it, you know tip of the iceberg but i know exactly what kind of craziness goes into developing such softwares and it's just um it's quite amazing and just to see where it'll go is just going to be fascinating i'm less optimistic than you are about it <laughs> Much, much less. Not that I don't think the concept is brilliant. I think the concept is brilliant, and I think it could be wonderful for society in a lot of areas, not in everything that I think we've been told it will fix for everything. But I've noticed that the manufacturers and the the tech giants are beginning to dial back a little bit from 
some of the the problem is that the hype has overtaken the reality and it's yeah. been reported oh yeah they're around the corner no they're, well they're not actually if if waymo's turning around and going yeah we may never get to level five everybody just could we relax a little bit <laughs> i think we have to take note of that because they are undoubtedly the leaders in this tech i mean they've spent oh eye-watering the amounts of money to get to the point where they are now so you know if we're going to listen to anybody i think we should be listening to them if they if they start saying oh let's just calm down a bit it's not quite ready <laughs> so yeah no I, I i totally understand what you mean i think with um with the self-drive stuff if they start rolling it out with uh, deliveries and cargo and i don't know postal stuff for example where it's just you know human life is not really uh <laughs> well yeah in an industrial setting it's absolutely perfect you imagine going yeah. around uh i don't know a steelworks or somewhere like that that it's doing all the transportation of the steel so you don't need yeah. anybody in that environment potentially getting a girder dropped on them or anything like that it means you use less space you're more efficient it's quicker it's easier it's just safer i mean they're it's brilliant and and i think that's not too far away from being deployed. And I think that's going to be brilliant and make such a difference to to everybody. But we won't notice it because it's not going to be on our high street <laughs> driving, you know, a, a Johnny cab taking us around the corner or anything like that. So we, people won't notice it until they start getting on the public road. But the, the differences it will make to society will will happen soon, just not in the public eye. Yeah, no, I <clears throat> I totally understand. And... I think it's just the safety concerns. I think that's the only thing about it, which is a, a bit of a question mark, that how can you teach AI or how can you write an algorithm that if you have a certain number of passengers in the car and you have a certain number of pedestrians on the road, and then at what, you know, where is the cutoff point where if something spectacularly bad happens, then is the car going to save the occupants, occupants or is it gonna be more kind of you know should i say the pedestrians it's it's that's where the the real challenge i feel will come well i think the thing the bigger problem before there is that the nature of ai and machine learning is that we can't say for definite that it will make the same decision every time in the same circumstances yeah and added to that is that we can't also then Actually, if there is a is an accident involving a, an autonomous vehicle and it's AI driven, that we can't look into and find out how it came to that set of decisions because of the very nature of the the software. It's it's essentially a, a magic black box that's going to drive a vehicle, or that's what we're being told at the moment. And they and that worries me a lot. And I know that there's been some consultation in the UK. Um, the uh, there's been a legal one recently in which the they do actually mention. Hang on, we we probably won't be able to tell what caused an accident with the way the software is being written at the minute, and we perhaps need to think about that first. <laughs> and it is worrying because I mean we can see how people get algorithms or alleged algorithms wrong in just stuff we interact with now on on the internet and things like that so it is yeah. that that's the concerning bit for me i love the concept and the idea but the actual execution is really tricky 
Yeah. Well, you know, James Cameron is making a new Terminator movie. Maybe the whole movie is based on a self-drive <laughs> yes. car. <laughs> Maybe it's a Transformer uh, crossover. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, exactly. Sorry, I've taken us way off topic here. But okay, next next oh, question. Okay. okay, what currently worries you about the motoring world? At the sound of sounding too political, I would say lack of electric car infrastructure at mm. the moment. I live in London in the suburbs and uh it, you know with the, with the with the push of you know diesels not being you know what well, they're going to have uh, they're going to have a charge within the north circular and the south circular i think by next year if you don't have a certain category of diesel car or petrol car you have to pay like an extra 20 pounds or whatever a day to go in and i just think yeah that's that's fair enough but if we really want people to invest in in uh, electric cars and other forms of non-fossil fuel burn, you know, engines, etc. We we need better, you know, better infrastructure of uh, charging the cars, and we need better batteries. You know, I don't, I don't, I can't even think of a single charge point within five miles of my house. Yeah, it's it just, I don't know. It's just, it's just something that really worries me because. I was all, I've been looking at getting, well, formerly has obviously had its effect on me. I was looking at getting an electric vehicle a few years yeah. ago and it was only because of the, the lack of electric car infrastructure that I didn't buy an electric mm. car. Um, and it, I ended up getting a diesel, which was probably the worst thing I should have done because about six months later, they, they put all this, you know, charges and, you know, the, the nitrous oxide or whatever it is being bad for you. They just, the media just, smashed it yeah out everywhere and yeah i just think it's uh yeah i know it's it's not really to do with the motoring world as such it's not to do with cars themselves but uh, it is because that's all part of it i mean i i agree with you on that because a lot of the decisions that are being made about what is a suitable vehicle for the public now and in the future is being made in a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, we saw there was a knee-jerk reaction back in the early 2000s about, oh, you must have diesels now, not petrols, otherwise we're just going to have too much CO2. And then, you know, not even two decades later, you're evil for buying a diesel. It's like, well, hang on a second. We were all incentivized. We were all pushed towards it because we were going to reduce this. And now you're telling us we were bad for doing that. And I fear that that same sort of knee-jerk we must appease the press type reaction is happening again and it's it is worrisome it is uh, as far as the infrastructure is going on though that is improving day on day i mean we've now got i I'm, i mean i'm i've got one charging point within seven miles of my house so i totally understand where you're coming from of, of having it if i had a car i would because of my house i do have the ability to install a charger and i could charge but that's not suitable for everybody or for or for many so yeah, we've got to we've got to be clever about this and i think there are a lot of people working on it because there's talk of charging points coming to lampposts uh, in in cities and things like that so ho- hopefully we'll get there because and then you can yeah. have, then you can yeah. have an ipace <laughs> yeah, i could yeah and those jags are those are great looking cars seriously yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at getting, getting another car, uh, very soon. And I think I will take the the dive to go electric. So yeah, it's, uh, 
It's well, um, you've got you've got the likes of Kia and Hyundai coming out with cars that will do two hundred and seventy miles plus on a on a full charge. Yeah, and that's, I know it's it's amazing. You know, where were we five years ago? Now. We were nowhere near that, were we? Unless unless you were spending a hundred thousand pound. No, exactly. And the technology will definitely technology is there. So you know, it's, I think it's just a bit of a waiting game. But um, I I do love the 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 the, um, the, the talk and the. The, the power and of the of the electric vehicle is it's incredible I, I remember going off topic i did i shot nick heidfeld's wedding two years ago oh, cool. um in switzerland <laughs> yeah i know it was a total it was one of the best events of my life because here's a guy that i used to when i was watching formula one in the late in the early noughties you know he was someone that i used to kind of watch racing and then when he raced for mahindra and at the end of season two, he just asked me at the gala dinner. He just elbowed me and he just goes, um, Shiv, are you free on the 20-something of August? I'm like, yeah, why? He goes, oh, I need a quote for a wedding. And I'm like, oh, whose wedding? He goes, mine? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that was quite something. Um, that was a total, like, I was total fanboy because I got went to his house. I saw his trophy in his helmet collection. It was just incredible. But Nick actually had... Um, he actually had a chauffeur for me. This was amazing. He had a, a taxi chauffeur for me for the whole th- two days of his wedding. And he picked me up from the airport. It was the first time I got into a Tesla. Oh, yeah. And he had the top of the range one. And he put it on that ludicrous yeah, speed. Yeah. Cranked it up to 11 and he floored it. And I think my jaw is about two inches closer to my the back of my head now. <laughs> it's just, it was just the most incredible experience I've ever had. Um, and I won't go into Nick having a Nissan Leaf and um, driving so fast around his hometown that it was great to have Nick, a four ex Formula One driver, driving me around. But his parents were sitting in the back, and we were all absolutely frightened. <laughs> <laughs> we were so scared. Well, he normally doesn't get a chance to scare asked, people to death with his driving. I know. And I asked his, his parents. This was on the morning of his wedding, and I said, I asked his parents, "Do." Does he always drive like this? And they're like, yeah, we just let him do what he wants. <laughs> like, so funny. <laughs> so I can appreciate the electric vehicle speed and, you know, it, 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 they are amazing. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Off topic. No, no, no. Absolutely. Uh, so what has been your favorite car to drive and why? So the, my favorite car to drive was a Porsche 911. And it was the, I think it was the 96 version when they revamped the mm-hmm. car to have that slightly more slender yeah. look. So my dad used to respray cars. He, he did a lot of different businesses uh, a few years ago, but he used to respray cars. And it was actually, we had to deliver the car to, we resprayed this guy's, you know, he had obviously scratches and we had to deliver it to his house in the middle of a, you know, a country farm or something which was about 20 miles from where we used to fix the cars and um he just uh he said come let's drive it so then i drove the car to the guy's house and uh it was just the most incredible experience because it was the first ever supercar i ever Mm -hmm. drove Um, and i suppose to this day it was just it's still my favorite because it just it has that that emotional connection you could say and to be honest i haven't really driven that many supercars um since uh so yeah i would say that's definitely been my favorite that i've ever driven cool. uh, what's been your least favorite car to drive and why was that okay <laughs> <laughs> because we 
this is, I'm going to try and be nice about this. Everyone says gonna, that on this question. <laughs> I'm not going to mention the. I'm not going to mention the company. It was an. I'll just tell you. It was. It was an Italian okay. car, and because when I travel a lot with the motorsport, you know, I get to hire a lot of cars out, and I tend to just get any you know small hatchback. I don't need anything too mm-hmm. flash. And I remember this car, the brand new, it had about a thousand miles on the clock and the gearbox was just absolutely ripped apart. And, and, you know, now I understand why higher cars are only automatic most of the time, because I don't know if the gearbox was ripped apart because of a previous uh, driver. It was awful. You know, reverse was second and then third became fourth a, a few hours later and it was just mental and it just sounded it kept you on your toes when you're driving. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was yeah, never again. I was missing gears and the horrible crunch of the gear, the gears in the in the gearbox <laughs> kind of crunching together. And yeah, just I'm not gonna mention it was just an Italian car and it was just awful. Well, it's okay because it was a higher car, so it was you know, that it's had a hard life even at only a thousand miles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, what car would you like to own next? Mm, okay, so I would like to get the um, the e golf, the electric okay. golf. I've heard lots of good things about that. Yeah, and what I really like is that you can tell an e golf from a normal one because it has that special LED mm-hmm. at the bottom where the fog lights go, and they're kind of shaped like horseshoes. Yep. I don't know if you've yep. seen them. I mean, ideally, I would like to get that if VW don't bring out a Scirocco, which is electric, then I'll get the Golf. But I would really, 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 this is my this is my push to VW. I know you've discontinued the Scirocco, but please bring out an electric one in the same shape, and I would absolutely love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd all love the Scirocco back. It's a fab shape, but they've gone to the T-Rock, haven't they? Which is a shame. Yeah, I mean, I've got a, I've got a Scirocco R-Line at the moment, Um and I love the shape of I think it's it's an amazing car and I absolutely love it. It's one of the only car I'm very picky when it comes to the look of a car. Anyone would think you're an artist or something. <laughs> and that you know, know the visuals matter. <laughs> I know. It's it's a golf with hips. Now the thing is that I love the golf. The golf the golf is too common and you know it's uh it's just a broader, it's a sleeker looking golf. I love I I absolutely adore the adore the shape of it so if if they can bring out a, a decent electric one then i am definitely on the, the first one to get one so vw if you're listening please you know get it out there and if not just uh make one for me and i'll give you a free photo shoot or something that's fine <laughs> that seems a fair deal uh okay what is your favorite road to drive on pacific highway in california so when we did the salt flats for the venturi team the land speed record we did the road trip and we ross and i drove so many different roads all over the the kind of southern midwest states but our flight was from um i think it was i don't know it was one of the la or san francisco and we had to drive up from south going up the pacific highway and it was just the most incredible road you know the, the the ocean looked beautiful, huge waves on the ocean, and it was the the road was going along the mountain path, and it's a very busy road, but it was just absolutely mm. stunning. Okay, that that's a pretty good road to go on. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know if the Salt Flats is a is a road. If 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 you said where's your favorite place to drive, I'd just say the Salt Flats because you could there was no speed limit. You could do 150 on the road and none would. There's no road, but you could do 150 on the Salt Flat, and no matter how fast you went, you never got to the end of it, so it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is the most pointless optional extra you've had the misfortune to experience? Um. Cruise control? <laughs> I don't know why. I just don't like cruise control on cars. I just I just find it. I don't know if it really is an optional extra. I mean, most cars have it now. I, I don't like it. I just prefer to keep my, my leg engaged on pressing the pedal. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. We've not had that one before, so that's fair enough. Uh, and uh, last question before I say thank you is, uh, who do you think I should talk to after you? Oh, man. <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't ask me a question like this. Um, let's see. Uh, I can only think of other other photographers. It would be nice in the future if you could talk to uh, maybe an automotive photographer, maybe one that's been doing it for many many years and has seen um, the development and the rise of fall and fall of different you know, the, the different companies and the vehicles and they've worked with lots of different, um, yeah, they've just worked through the eras, era of, of photographing cars from film to digital to whatever's going to come next. Um, that, that would be really fascinating to, to hear, but yeah, that's just the photographer in me talking. I just want to be surrounded by cameras all day and just <laughs> cameras all day. It's quite sad. Okay. Okay. Will do. Right. Uh, last last question then. A very last question because that that was meant to be the last one, but it's not the last question. Sorry about that. Uh, but what are the best ways for people to follow what you do, or to get in touch, or to perhaps give a shout out to uh, Spacesuit to inquire about uh, employing them? Okay. So we have our so we have spacesuitcollection.com, dot mm-hmm. Which is our online archive. So that's where, you know, if anyone wants to see, we have over 100,000 images contributed by over 30 photographers um, over many, many years now. It's going to be our third birth, our official third birthday uh, next month. So that's quite a. Well, that's quite a big thing for us and formerly he's going to be 50 races old in uh, Hong Kong. So that's going to um, I've done 46 races. I missed a few because of clashing weddings. Sorry, going back to that, so spacesuitcollection.com. So um, if you're a young or old budding photographer and you'd like to um, talk about uh, possibly contributing towards, you know, towards Spacesuit, then please, you know, our you can go to spacesuitcollection.com. We have all of our, um, you can contact us on the email on there. We have an Instagram, which is at Spacesuit Media. Uh, Twitter is at Spacesuit underscore media. Um, you can contact us through through any means, to be honest. I mean, we're quite we're quite open to that. And it, it doesn't have to be super formal. Though. As long as you have a great portfolio and you just come across as, you know, a cool person, please, you know, just just um, just contact us. And for my if you'd like to see my my personal portfolio and just would like to see my own work, it's a bit of a, a mouthful, but it's um, it's my name, so it's shivrajgohil.com. You can it's s h i v r a j g o h i l. I'm on Instagram as well, shivraj underscore photos, and on Twitter, same thing, shivraj underscore photos. And yeah, that's that's how you can find out about 
spacesuit and if and myself really. no problem well i'll make sure there's links to all that in the show notes so people can just click through easily and i it just leads me to say thank you so much for giving up your time to chat to me it's been fascinating i think it's brilliant the the photographs you take oh sorry i've complimented you twice now that's awful of me uh <laughs> but also the the idea uh behind spacesuit is is fantastic to see and the way that you are looking to nurture um talent and help move that along. I think that's that's awesome to hear as well because, um, as you pointed out, everybody needs help. Everybody needs uh, some guidance and pushing along and just being given a, a, a step on the first rung of the ladder and things like that. So uh, I applaud the fact that you guys do that. I know that, that is awesome. So thank you so much for being on the show. No, no problem at all. Thank you for having me and uh, asking some very weird questions at the end but <laughs> no, but no it, it was it's always um, it's always a pleasure to to kind of speak about you know where we what we do and where we where we've been and yeah you know all talent all photography talent needs sometimes they need help and stuff and uh, it's it's great to give people the opportunity because i would have it would have been nice if to have that opportunity when i was a bit younger and i was in the same position um, so it's kind of, it's just come from, um, past experience. So yeah, it, it's been great on the show and, and thank you so much for having me. Thanks once again to Shiv for coming on rear view and chatting with me. I hope you found our conversation as fascinating as I did. And if you want to suggest someone I should ask to come on this show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag #RearViewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it here in motoring podcast towers. To get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up to date with motoring news, opinions and car reviews, go try out The Sister Show, which is the Motoring Podcast. If you think what we do here on Rearview and Motoring Podcast is worth some of your money, please do go and support us in our efforts by visiting motoringpodcast.com forward slash support and clicking the Patreon button. I would also really appreciate it if you could tell others about the show. I think the guests who come on here have fabulous stories and I want as many people as possible to hear them. So until next time, that was Shiv Gohill, I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.